Hello, everybody. This is Ming Chen from AMC's Comic Book Men, and you are listening to Legends of Tabletop. Good evening, everybody. I'm ecstatic to have Ming Chen with us tonight. Uh, we met at uh, Tucson Comic Con last year and uh, chatted it up a little bit. And uh, well, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah, and great timing with the podcast. Uh, between then and now, the world of tabletop gaming has kind of uh, exploded and taken uh, a greater precedent in my life than it did back then. And um, yeah, thank thank you for the invite. I uh, I'm excited. To see what's new in the world, uh, I'm excited to tell you about some of my favorite games. I'm excited to. I, I, all I'm looking for is recommendations now. Now that I'm entrenched in this world, so you know, fire away at them. Nice, very cool. <laughs> for anybody new who's tuning in tonight for the first time, this is a live stream for the podcast. All of our uh, live interviews and games have uh, interviews have a quicker turnaround. This will be posted within a day or so on our SoundCloud page. Uh, our uh, games have a longer turnaround. Uh, but they also do eventually migrate over to the uh, to the SoundCloud. So uh, if you can't stick with us for the whole time, you can download this, uh, you know, in a day or so. Yeah, but what it, really, what else do you have to do? You know, what else is going to be yeah. more entertaining than this? So thank you for <laughs> anybody tuning in. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. We, so we'll, we'll kind of run the gamut here. Um, All but right. I, uh, I, yeah, ask me anything, my friends. All right. Ask so... I'll ask you this. I'm sure you've told the story hundreds of times already. Okay. But how did you get involved with Kevin Smith? How did that all come about? I, I, mean, I, I love telling this story no matter how many times I tell it because, uh, you know, now that I'm working with Kevin, um, I've been working with him for 22 years. Uh, I get a lot of people coming up to me at cons or I get a lot of emails. It's like, hey, uh, here's my resume. Can you get this to Kevin? I want to work with him. And which always makes me laugh because Kevin's not really that guy you send a resume to and then he hires you. It's not. Uh, if you know anything about Kevin Smith, he does everything in a very non-traditional way. So looking at a resume or, you know, even maybe what you've done doesn't really do it for him. Uh, if you want to work with Kevin, you got to do something wacky and out of, out, of, out of the box and out of this world. And I'll list two, I'll, I'll list two examples. Uh, the way I got involved with him was uh, back, way back in 1994 when Clerks came out, uh, I heard about this crazy little black and white movie that was shot in New Jersey with a bunch of bad language and a bunch of sexual references and these two crazy characters called Jay and Silent Bob. But uh, because it wasn't black and white, initially I didn't go see it in theaters. It was uh, I didn't know anything about the world of independent film. I sure. thought it might have been like a, a, you know, like a foreign art film or a snuff <laughs> film or I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it was playing at the little independent theater at the, at the, the town I was living in while I was in college and I was like, all right, this way must be for art, art and film students. I would rather go see Pulp Fiction or Stargate or Forrest Gump or Shawshank Redemption, all those other big budget movies that came out in 1994. So I didn't see it in the theater in its initial run, but about a year later I was working at a video store on campus and the, uh, the movie Clerks came in on VHS and I was supposed to check it into the system 
and let people rent it so the business could make money. But I saw it and I rem remembered the views that the reviews I had read about how it was a, re a, re a really funny movie uh, about New Jersey. And I had just started dating a girl from New Jersey. So I was like, all right, I I'll check this out. Maybe I could get some jokes out of that and I can make fun of her. At the very least, I was going to be able to see what life like was for her <laughs> in New Jersey. So I took it home and I watched it and I was blown away. I'd never seen dialogue like this in a movie. I never seen characters like this in a movie. I'd never seen a movie about a character that was very much like myself, a guy working a dead end job that didn't know what he wanted to do in life. And it really spoke to me. And I was like, wow, this is, this movie is really good. Uh, whoever, whoever wrote this and shot it is a nut and a genius. Uh, so I did some digging on the internet and I found out the guy who wrote and directed it was the guy who played silent Bob, the guy who had like one line of dialogue in the movie. It's like, wow, this guy is really cool. So that movie, like for another like two, three months, just really stuck with me. Just, it just really spoke to me and I became a really big fan of it. Uh, so much so that I tried to tell all my friends about it. I was like, you got to watch this movie. This movie's awesome. And they had the same reservations. I initially did like, Oh, it's in black and white. You know, does anyone, you know, are there any gunfights in it? Um, you know, is it, you know, is it like, is it like Boys in the Hood? Is it, you know, are, are there any major conflicts between like gang members or anything? I'm like, well, no, not really. You know, there, there's a dude who doesn't like his job. And so they didn't want any, anything to do with it. And, but I was really, I wanted to share this movie. I love this movie so much. I just really wanted someone to watch it and love it as much as I did so I could talk to them about it. And, I, I was coming up empty, you know, within my own friend circle. Uh, about the same time, I was learning how to build websites. It was very early on in the internet. There was no Google. There was no, um, you know, there was no Firefox. There was no Safari. It was very early, but a, a engineering friend at the school I was going to was taught me how to build a website. And I started looking around, and I actually saw a couple of Clerks fan sites, and I contacted them, going, hey, uh, great site. I like this movie too. And I started thinking that maybe uh, a good way to channel my fandom would be to build a website. So on one snowy December day in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, I was trapped at a computer lab. There was no one there and I was just really bored. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to build that clerk's fan site that I've been talking so much about. And not only that, I'm going to make it like the best clerk's fan site ever built in the year 1995 like when there were like two or three other clerks fan sites uh so i did it i put a lot of work into it um i uh i, I grabbed a bunch of uh, back then you know you would just put like photos from the movie and you would rip like sound clips and uh stuff like that it was very rudimentary but uh you know I, I i did the best i could i really poured my heart into it and i put it out there and um i started getting a lot of feedback from other clerks fans which was cool because that was my goal was to find other clerks fans. I could, I could geek out, um, geek out with. And then one day I got contacted by the ultimate clerks fan, um, AKA the guy who made the movie right. <laughs> who basically was like, uh, you know, kind of sent me an email. I was like, Hey, I saw what you did. I really like this clerks fan that you put up. Uh, you did a great job. Uh, you know, um, thank you for watching it. Uh, you know, I, I, I made this movie for $27,000 and it just, uh, you know, I'm just really glad that anybody out there saw it. Uh, but I really, but what I really like is that you channeled your fandom into this website. Um, 
I'm about to make a couple other movies, uh, one called Chasing Amy, and this movie I've been working writing called Dogma. Um, I would love to do a website uh, that encompasses all my movies and a website for my production company. Could you help me out? You obviously know what you're doing. Can you help me out? And I, I, I was like, yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. He was like, great, call me tomorrow. We'll talk about it. And I was like, whoa, this is cool. I get to talk to Kevin Smith. So the first time I called the number he gave me, uh, uh, the guy picking up sounded like he was half asleep or he might have been <laughs> on something. And it was kind of like, oh. And I was like, is, is Kevin there? And he was like, Kevin's not here right now. I'm like, well, can you take down my number? He told me to call this number at this time. Can you have him call me back? And, he, and the guy was like, all right, fine. I'll take your number. And, and, and we hung up. And I was like, wow, that guy really sounded like Jay. <laughs> from clerks and then a minute later i realized wow that was jay from clerks answering the phone but eventually kevin called me back and uh you know we chatted and i eventually uh, i did build that production company website that he wanted and that was 22 years ago so i've been working with him ever since but that's the uh that's the short version of a very long story <laughs> back um, in the wild and woolly days of the, uh, the beginning of the internet that's really yeah cool. yeah well, i think i think it was a lot of fun it was just pre-twitter pre-facebook and you know back then there was no way uh you know you couldn't get in touch with people that you liked in the movie world they were they were up in the hollywood hills somewhere like totally inaccessible behind this wall of 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 like you know this kind of barrier they built between fan and creator uh, which kind of no longer exists anymore with the advent of Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram, like, you know, you, you know, we live in a world now where you can get into an argument and then blocked by the president of the United States. So <laughs> it's, it's so weird. And then, uh, you know, uh, that, that, that website eventually did build for Kevin. One of the things he really wanted was a method to communicate with his fans online, which I thought was really cool because no one else was doing that. So uh, initially he had wanted a chat room, but I steered him toward, a message board where you know people, someone could come and post a question and he could come at his leisure and answer it and that's what i did and it kind of that that kind of blew up it was i think for a lot of fans it was just really cool like you know you could post a question to a guy whose movie that you really liked and that guy would actually answer it like five minutes later it was really cool and uh, ironically that message board i set up very rudimentary all text-based wasn't that fancy, but uh, ironically, that message board that I built looks exactly like Reddit does now. So, oh um, wow, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, nothing, nothing really gets old anymore. And uh, you know, what works works, and sometimes what works might not look the best, but it works the best, and that's what that's what things go with. So that's how I got hooked up with Kevin. That was 22 years ago. Uh, eventually, that led to you know other productions: Dogma, James and Bob Strike Back, Tusk, Yoga Hosers. Jersey Girl, uh, Zach and Marie Make a Porno, all those. Uh, but that led to the podcasting world uh, where Kevin started podcasting, got all of us involved in podcasting. And through podcasting, uh, we ended up on uh, doing a little TV show called Comic Book Ben. Very, very weird path. But, you know, uh, again, you know, I, I didn't go with him with a, 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 a typed up resume sure. or anything like that. I just kind of did some, something kind of weird, build a website. And uh, that's how I got involved with Kevin. Uh, and I said I had two stories about wacky, uh, wacky ways uh, that that uh, that people engaged in to get in touch with Kevin. Uh, for anybody out there who watches the TV show Impractical Jokers, you may know a character on there named Brian Q. Quinn. 
Brian started out uh, about the same time I did, about 22 years ago. Uh, got a job interning for Kevin, and the way he did that was uh, he snuck into a bookstore with a hidden tape recorder, and he yelled at a bookstore clerk uh, who, had a week, who a week prior made fun of Brian Quinn for trying to buy a Mallrat script from uh, – it was a Walden Books, I believe. And Brian Q. Quinn walked in, tried to buy the book. The clerk berated him for liking Kevin Smith. Brian posted on the message board, like, hey, this guy made fun of me for liking Moritz. What should I do? And Kevin was like, go back in there in the tape recorder and give that guy some crap. And that's what <laughs> Brian did. And uh, it was kind of a precursor to Impractical Jokers, which is like one of the hottest TV shows out there right now. So it's, it's weird. Life is weird, man. Life is weird. But, you know, if you want to impress Kevin or anybody else for that matter, go do something wacky. Go do something out of the box. Wacky but legal. We should probably be clear. Oh, <laughs> uh, and maybe not necessarily that initial clerk site that I built 22 years ago. I, I, I may have used some clips and images that were under copyright, and you know nobody cared in the end. So, you know, uh, you could skirt a couple laws. Just you know, make sure nobody gets hurt, like physically hurt, and you're good. Fair. All right. Uh, how long was it before you started working at the stash after uh, doing the webmastering work? Uh, I met Kevin in 96. The stash officially opened in 1997, but I didn't officially w- move to Jersey to work full-time until 2002. So I've been hanging out. I initially just started hanging out there, and I started hanging out more, and then I started ringing people up, and then I just kind of <laughs> got sucked in. By the by, the world of the stash. So I mean, it's been a good 15, 16 years since I've been hanging around there. But uh, you know, when you when you hang out and work around Walt, uh, it takes a while for him to warm up to you. So um, yeah, there's a legendary story where uh, Kevin and Matt working at a nearby recreation center. But I mean, they barely they didn't say a word to each other for nine months. I heard until a fateful day when Kevin brought up uh, he said the word Batman, and Walt perked up as a comic book fan. And that's when they started talking a lot. And then they started hanging out. They started going to comic book conventions. Uh, you know, Walt ended up running the store as a manager and the rest was kind of history. So is it weird, you know, kind of coming into the stash, you know, cause those guys all, you know, grew up together, knew each other for a yeah. long time coming in and being the new guy. Was that tough? I, I'm still the new guy. I mean, if you watch <laughs> the show, I, you know, daily I get treated like the new guy and, um, yeah, everyone's kind of like, why do they pick on you so much? Like, well, one, I got hired after everybody else did. I didn't grow up with them. Two, I'm a, uh, I'm about, I'm younger than most of, I'm younger, I'm younger than Kevin by about four years. I'm younger than Brian, Walt, and Mike by about seven. So there's that kind of like little brother mentality as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but you know, as you know, it, it, you're always the new guy. Even if they hire a guy after you, you're still, you're still the new guy. You get treated like you were hired yesterday. Right. We, we went into the, before I moved out to Arizona, uh, my buddy Vince and his girlfriend, my ex-wife, wife at the time went down to, to get in. We're like, Oh, we haven't been down here like in forever. We should go in, you know, it's on TV now and everything. Yeah. So we go in and, and Vince was like, just be cool. Go in, be cool. I'm like, all right. So we go in, he kind of come, you know, he walks in kind of nods, you know, Walt's just kind of standing behind the counter. I walk in, Look at Walt. Look at the store. And I'm like, man, I love your show. This is so cool. Blah blah blah. And Liz's like, what? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah. Who cares? Yeah, I thought we were gonna be cool. I thought we were gonna act like we were here before, but <laughs> yeah. And if there's one guy who who you know who doesn't even care, who doesn't care if you gush or not, it's Walt Flanagan. All he cares about, as a retailer, as a manager, is a guy trying to keep a comic book store alive. All Walt cares that is that you buy something and get out. So. 
Yeah, but, we, uh, well, we yeah. all bought stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, me and Mike, me and Mike love the fanboying. You know, as fanboys ourselves, we know what it's like. So right. if you come in the store and we're there, you know, fanboying, gush all you want. Uh, Walt could care less, though. However, I, I did, I did talk him into a picture. He, but oh, he yeah, just kind of stood there. You didn't yeah, want nothing welcome, to do with it. <laughs> always welcome with that. Um, he's gonna look like he's not liking it, which he doesn't. You know, he just doesn't really like any attention brought it, brought to himself. Other than that, though. Uh, you know, great guy, and uh, you know, I, I'm I, he appreciates that the show has brought more business to the store for sure. Right. So, is he that much of a, a, a cumrudgeon as, as he appears to be? No, not not at all. You just have to, you know, it takes him it takes him a while to warm up to anybody. So, uh, you know, if you hit on the right topics, he may hold an extended conversation with you. If you talk New Jersey Devils hockey or comics or classic rock, uh, he may uh, he, he may he may warm up to you. But don't feel bad if he doesn't. Yeah, no, no, he was cool. Like I, he, you know, I, I get it when we go in. It, it was, it was cool though. Like he, you know, he he put up a good front. <laughs> we oh, spent sure. money, so he was happy. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. In, in, in the long run, uh, yeah, money talks with money is the real language of love with Walt Flanagan. Mm-hmm. What, what what's the weirdest thing that Kevin's ever had you do? Uh, jeez, man. There's, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff. I, I mean, I've, gra- I've fetched weed for him a couple times. That's, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, you know, you can't fly with it. So, you know, when you land, you want to have some weed when you, or he does, he does. So, you know, I've, I've grabbed weed a couple times. That's, uh, that's been pretty weird. Oh, actually the weirdest thing he had me do, uh, there was one Friday on a snowy January in 2011, um, it was Friday afternoon. I'm, you know, I'm ready. I'm getting ready for my weekend. Uh, you know, I'm about to knock off and enjoy two days off. And I get a message from him, and it was like, "Hey, man, what are you doing this weekend?" And I was like, "I don't know, Kevin. What am I doing this weekend?" <laughs> and he was like, "Hey, um, uh, he had just made uh, Red State, the movie Red State, and uh, it was all pretty much self-financed and not self-financed, but they had some, you know, it was independently financed by a couple of investors that they had to get themselves. And there was apparently pretty much only one copy on DVD. And they're like, Hey, there's this reviewer from time magazine that wants to watch the movie and review it. And this is a very important review, but she lives in Maine and she doesn't really leave Maine. She reviews all the movies either get sent to her or people go up there and they drop the movies off we're going to FedEx you a copy of the movie. It's the only one we have. Can you drive it up to her in Maine? Can you sit there and watch it with her so she doesn't bootleg it? And then can you grab it, drive it back to Jersey and then destroy it? <laughs> and I'm like, Maine, like how far is that? And he's like, well, it, you know, it's a town called Brunswick. It's going to probably take you, if you leave right now, it'll take you about eight hours to get up there. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Send the movie down. I'll totally, I'll do it. I'll totally do it. Um, so I, I ended up renting a car. I got the movie came, uh, they, they overnighted the movie. I got it the next day, hopped in the car and you know, they're, they're like, there's only one rule. Do not let this movie get out of your sight. It's the only copy we have outside of the, outside of the Avid, outside of the editing bay we have here. Uh, you know, self if this gets out and gets bootlegged, we're, we're screwed. So do not let it out of your sight. So I didn't handcuff it to my hand. But I basically did. Uh, you know, I made one or two bathroom stops on the way up to Maine. I had it with me, like basically strapped to my arm while, you know, I was trying to pee, all this stuff. But, you know, I got to my hotel room. I locked in the hotel safe and I basically didn't let it out of my sight. So, and then uh, the next morning I did, I took it to 
this reviewer's house. She was very nice. She had donuts for me. I sat there. I watched it with her. And I, you know, after the second it was done, I popped out the DVD player, made sure it was back in my possession, and I got out of there. And then I took it back and I had it destroyed. So I, you know, I, I, I triple shredded it. So that, you know, that was not what I thought I, you know, in any job description. But, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it's a fun trip to Maine for sure. Like, like doing CIA wet work. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, yeah, pretty much, and you know, he was like, "Don't tell anybody, buddy, about it. Don't let anybody touch it. Don't again, don't let it out of your sight." So, yeah, cool, cool. But well, that was pretty weird. Yeah, it's not like your everyday kind of. <laughs> no, I mean, I defy anyone at a nine to five to to match that story, you know, in terms of weirdness. So, yeah, cool. What What's the most bizarre thing that's come through the stash? Uh, I mean, besides, you know, like Stan Lee, which is, uh, you know, we never thought we had, we'd have Stan Lee in the store. Um, I mean, we not often, but every so often we'll get, uh, the, I mean, the ones that I like are, are every so often a, a toy company will, will release a toy and then, you know, go into mass production. They'll sell like 20, 30,000 of them. And then it'll be discovered that the toy, for whatever reason, has is inappropriate to sell to children uh whether inadvertently usually well usually it's always inadvertently they don't do it on purpose right um but there are two examples uh there's a toy out there called uh the red repeating tarzan uh when the disney movie tarzan came out and you would hit a little lever on the back of the the uh on the on tarzan's back he would do the tarzan yell but he was moving his hand up and down <laughs> In a uh, how can I put it like a you know pleasurable masturbatory manner I guess, <laughs> and it looked you know it went from crotch to air and back as you hit the lever, and he would do the Tarzan call like he was having a great time, and uh, you know they sold a ton of them. One parent got pissed off, it, you know it hit the media, and Disney had to recall all of them. But you know the ones that did get out are now valuable, like in some cases very valuable because mm-hmm. it's either you know some people bill it as a banned toy wasn't really bad it was recalled but you know and never to be you know the ones they took out got destroyed um but you know in my head i I, you know i don't know much about toy development but i remember like the movie big where you know they had a whole boardroom and they would pitch the the toy they would have to approve the toy they would have to prototype the toy they'd have to approve the prototype they would have to send the prototype to china get it manufactured and then you know they would send more samples over which also had to be approved. Then they would send, you know, then they would send the, 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 the cases over for sale and that many steps. No one saw this. Like, it's pretty crazy. So that stuff like that always makes me laugh. Um, there was also a toy. Uh, it was a, I believe it was a Punisher toy that transformed into a missile launcher, like kind of a gun that launched a missile and it was kind of a transformer toy. So there was like maybe six or seven steps from, uh, the Punisher to the gun. Somewhere between step three and four, uh, the rocket launcher barrel, it was discovered, came out of Punisher's crotch. Oh, nice. And not, and not only that, you could hit a button it would, and it would launch the missile out of there <laughs> in, you know, say an ejaculatory manner. And again, they recalled it. Some got out and, you know, it's kind of a sort of somewhat of a valuable toy or, you know, just desirable in the toy circle. So, but again, nobody saw that, you know, what, <laughs> yeah, right. it was, yeah, very weird, very weird. Those are the kind of toys I like, uh, 
many years ago, I think in 81 or 82, uh, there was an ET finger that you could place on your own finger and it kind of lit up at the end. Uh, but if you looked at it in the, in the pa packaging, it was very, very phallic. So um, again, nobody saw that. So yeah, that I don't, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not acting my age, you know, maybe I'm going back <laughs> to seven year old self, but these toys are funny, man. And, but very weird at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're talking about comic book, man, you guys are in your seventh season comes back this Sunday, the 25th yes. uh, for Crazy. the second half of the season. Crazy, that, man. Yeah. I, I, when I saw that, I'm like, shit, it's been seven seasons. Holy yeah. cow. Like I didn't, didn't seem like that. It was that long. No, it doesn't doesn't seem like that at all for us either. I, it feels like we just started shooting, but yeah, we started uh, uh, six almost seven years ago, and to us it's crazy when they pitch a show. They're like, hey, they're you know they're gonna do a store at the they're gonna shoot a show at the comic book store. I'm like, all right, great. Like, who's gonna watch this besides yeah. <laughs> you know besides our family members? Uh, you know, they they knew they kind of wanted like a Pawn Stars esque atmosphere. Um, but I guess what we didn't anticipate was that the segments that the people really latched onto were the ones where all four and sometimes all five of us sat around the counter or the table and just talked about stupid things like, uh, you know, you know, whether Obi-Wan was geriatric and, <laughs> you know, where his spirit, you know, where his spirit went to after Darth Vader struck him down and, you know, whether for, you know, talking about force ghosts. Or, you know, and now Force Projection with The Last Jedi or Time Travel, Flux Capacitors, uh, you know, um, uh, cutting off heads in the movie Highlander, Ghostbusters, you know, all these inane things that we just talk about on a normal basis. I was kind of, who's going to watch this? Four middle-aged men sitting around a comic book store arguing about, you know, having these stupid arguments. And what I failed to realize and what I realize now and that, you know, in every fast food joint, every dead end job, every movie theater job, every you know, every minimum wage job where pop, where people kind of congregate and are sitting around bored, they all have these same conversations that we do, and they can kind of relate to us. And I didn't realize that, but there are a lot of those same people around there that look at us like, "Hey, you guys are just like my friends." You have one guy who kind of, you know, who doesn't do any work but sits around and makes fun of the other guys. You have the other guy, you know, actually trying to make money and working hard. <laughs> you have the other guy who just gets dumped on constantly because he's younger than the other guys or, you know, he's just making easy to make fun of. Uh, you have the guy who thinks he knows everything. Um, yeah, I guess we're very relatable to uh, other geeks out there. And there are a lot of them, thank God, um, who, uh, you know, watch the show and kind of can relate to us. And want to see us for seven seasons and hopefully counting. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. Did so did AMC approach Kevin about the you know about this idea? Was Kevin involved? Like, was he trying to pitch something beforehand or? No, it was actually uh, it was an AMC idea that they uh, they brought in Kevin to consult. Originally, I believe the idea was uh, with the Walking Dead becoming a massive hit after season one. Uh, they had wanted a show that was comic book based. Hmm. I, I, I guess the initial thought was that the big season one Walking Dead audience was mainly pop culture and comic book fans who really love zombies and latched onto the show. So originally the idea, I think, was to have comic book men air between seasons so they would keep that comic book pop culture audience. Uh, ultimately, and thank God, they decided to air it after Walking Dead instead of between seasons. 
um, because now we air after the hottest show on the planet right now. Um, so they they knew they wanted something comic book related. They didn't know what though. They had no idea of a concept. And somebody suggested, like, well, why don't you talk to Kevin Smith? He knows about pop culture. He knows about comic books. He probably has. He's an idea man. He'll know what to do. And they contacted him. And they're like, well, what, what would you do? You know, say you had an hour or a half hour to do a show about comic books. What would you do? And he's like, you know what? Um, you know that show Pawn Stars? Why don't we just rip that show off? But instead of a pawn shop, let's put it inside of a comic book store. And instead of, you know, guys arguing about uh, artifact documents and ancient weapons and I don't know, whatever they, or, you know, and jewelry, I don't know, whatever they bring you into a pawn shop. Why don't we uh, talk about, vintage toys and comic books um you know there's your there's your hook right there and they're like oh that's a great idea let's let's try it let's try it out let's we'll shoot a pilot and we'll see if this is even going to work it sounds good on paper but let's see if uh you know if we put it on screen if it would really work so um ultimately i believe the the original idea was to look at every comic book store in the nation and pick the perfect one somewhere out there wherever it was and then cast four people to be the employees on the show that would uh, be the guys that would, you know, be on the show. Um, but before they did that, uh, they decided they need to shoot a pilot to see if it would work. And they didn't really have a big budget. And Kevin was like, well, I have a store. Why don't you use my store? That's, that's, I'll, I'll give it to you for free. You guys can shoot in there. And if you need four guys to shoot a pilot with, why don't you use the four guys I have there already? Um, you know, they're pretty funny. Uh, they have a podcast if you want to listen to it. Uh, called Tell Him Steve Dave. It's pretty funny. Um, you know, that's the kind of tone you're going to get from these guys. But, you know, if you – for the pilot, though, you know, if they're bad or if you have something in mind, uh, just see if it work. You know, even if you need – if you have some lines that you want them to say, even, you can do that. And so they brought a small crew down. And over the period of about a week, uh, we shot the pilot episode with us and it just kind of threw us in there just to see if it would work. And after, lo and behold, when they cut it together, the network was like, whoa, this is a great backdrop, Kevin Smith's comic book store. Why wouldn't we use Kevin's comic book store? Right. But more shockingly, the four guys that were just kind of fill-ins, they're really good. I, these are the guys. <laughs> and they went back to Kevin. And they, were like, they were like, well, first of all, you have a comic book store. Why are we looking around the country for the perfect comic book store when you owned it this whole time? <laughs> Why didn't you say anything? And I guess he didn't want to brag about having the best comic book store in the country, but he, you know, he definitely does. And then they're like, why didn't you tell us these four guys were really funny? Like we don't need to cast anybody else. These are the guys. They, they've known each other for over 10 years. Uh, you know, obviously they have a rapport with each other. Um, they're really good at making fun of the, the, the little Asian kid. The, the big bearded guy is really, really funny. He's really quick with the insults. The the, the guy who man, actually manages this place is really good with comic book knowledge and, you know, kind of being, you know, a hard ass comic book shop manager. And the other white kid with the goatee is super knowledgeable about comics. This is the formula right here. Why don't, why didn't you tell us, why didn't you tell us this before? And he was like, I, I don't know. I didn't, I know these guys. I, they're not actors. They're right. not reality TV show personalities. I, I didn't even think that they would work in this. And the network was like, we want them. This is a show. Let's you're approved. Here's an order. We're putting an order for six episodes. And that was season one. And luckily we, they, they still like us. They hopefully still love us. 
and we get to keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. Did, that was, did, that was a very long answer though, but yes, that's how it <laughs> happened. Did, did you have any trepidation when, when Kevin brought it to you and then, you know, the, the crew came in and they're yeah. like, all right, like, you know, we got to figure out, like, we were like, I, I don't know, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Like we're just trying to do our job here. I am, I'm up for anything. So, you know, there was no hesitation when he was like, Hey, we're going to bring a crew in there. And, um, and, um, I was like, wait, what do you mean? Yeah. I, I thought the idea of a rally show inside the, the store was a great idea. I thought, you know, uh, the store itself is a great backdrop for anything, but he was like, no, you don't understand. They want you on there too. And I'm like, I'm not an actor. I sit behind a desk making websites and graphics. I'm not, I'm not an actor. I, I don't want to be on reality TV. That's not, you know, I, I, in no way, shape or form should I be in front of a cat in, in front of a camera. It's like, no, they, they want you on there. They just, just, it, it's going to be okay. Just be on there. And, um, I, that first pilot we shot, uh, it's weird. I'm, I've never been in front of a camera. I did a couple of school plays, but um, so first couple of days it was, it, it felt kind of strange and I felt a little out of place. And I was like, Oh man, you know, am I good? Am I bad? I don't, I don't know. I'm just being myself. Is it, you know, I always thought of TV. You know, I grew up in the era of like the A team and um, you know, TV, TV shows like that Knight Rider and, Air you know, uh, you know, yeah, Airwolf and you know and V. These are my TV shows, full of action and people running around like real actors. So in my head, I was like, I wasn't really doing anything near that exciting, and I didn't know if it would work. But so I was a little, you know, I was a little bit. I was like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not really the TV guy. Is this going to work? But uh, you know, as time went further on, I became more and more comfortable. But uh, yeah, there was that moment in the beginning. I was like, what? What am I doing? I'm not, I didn't go to acting school. I didn't, I didn't do improv. Um, and, you know, but what I slowly realized is that's not what they wanted. They don't want, you know, they didn't want you to overdo it. Just be yourself like you always are. That's what's going to work. And, you know, the guys making fun of me, that's, they make fun of me every day. Um, you know, me taking it and trying to help out the store and doing all the stuff that no, no, the other guys want to do. That's me at the store. So, uh, you know, ultimately, that's what they wanted, and it worked out. Um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the greatest thing. I just get to be myself. I don't have to. I don't have to act. I don't have to read lines. There's no script, and I. That's how I prefer, it and I love it. Cool. Very cool. That is maybe a little inside baseball. Do you, Do you guys get input into like segments and sort of th things like that? Like you know. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. We do. Uh, before each season starts, uh, you know, we get to write down a wish list of stuff that we would love to see come in, uh, whether they they can get it or not, or whether there's anyone out in the world willing to sell one or buy one, you know, that's kind of left up to fate. But, and the reason they do that is, uh, you know, if something does come in that we really, really love or is really close to it, you will see our reactions. Our, our reactions when people bring stuff in that we truly love are is 100% genuine. Mm -hmm. um, take me, for example. I love 80s toy. I'm an 80s kid. I love G.I. Joe. I love Thundercats. I love, um, you know, I love things of that nature. I love, uh, there's a toy franchise out there called Mask. Um, there, you know, all, all the '80s toy franchises, I'm genuinely in love with. Uh, GI Joe, first and foremost. And if someone brings in a rare GI Joe toy, like I'm gonna flip out. Uh, Walt and Mike are more '70s kids, so if you bring in a rare Mego figure, if you bring in uh, Planet of the Apes toy, um, if you bring in anything uh, of that era, they're gonna flip out about it. So, um, so and as much as that, you know, we have input on that. Uh, some of the other storylines where we actually get to leave the store 
or um, things like that. We have we have a little input on that as well. Um, but these are all, you know, we think of the wackiest, craziest things that we might want to do, and uh, a lot of times it it, it happens. So, so that's yeah, cool. that, yeah, that's absolutely. how you wind up with with uh, Stanley in the store. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or there's an episode where uh, you know we had joked around about repainting one day repainting an ice cream truck instead of ice cream selling comic books out of it. I remember. Um, yeah. Um, ultimately, they got kicked up a notch when they're like, hey, uh, we got Ernie Hudson is going to come around and drive around in the ice cream truck. We're like, Winston Zeddemore from <laughs> Ghostbusters? Like the guy who drove the Ecto-1? Like, really? Like, you know, they always kind of kick it up a notch. But, yeah, that was – I mean, that was fun. I love I love Ghostbusters. It's one of my top five, top six movies for sure. And right. to have an actual Ghostbuster in the store and then later on driving around in an ice cream truck with us was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a fun episode. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like you said earlier, you guys have the primo slot. You're right behind Walking Dead. And like somebody was saying in the stream last night for Coral Sword that we were watching, uh, somebody mentioned that like Walking Dead is the opening act for comic book men. I I mean, if you want to look at it that way, (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, You know, it's more like we're the closing band at, you know, maybe a really cool rock uh, music festival. Uh, you know, that'll work or, um, you know, or, you know, that's the time slot that made sense. Uh, you know, we do come on very late midnights on Sundays, but that's a primo time slot for pop culture weed smokers out there <laughs> who are too lazy to turn off their TVs after walking dead. And, uh, to, you know, those, those of you out there about to light up joints or whatever, use vape pens. I salute you. Thank you very much <laughs> there. You know, apparently there are millions of kids out there who, kind of hang out and chill out and watch late night, Sunday night TV. And we really appreciate it. Yep. DVR for the win. Although I'm, yep. I'm DVR, Arizona, yeah, so. I, yeah. I realize it comes out very late. If you need to DVR and watch it the next morning or the next afternoon, by all means, you know, you don't have to watch it when it's, you don't have to watch any TV when it's live anymore. So I never that's do. Pretty, <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I really like that. Yeah. Now, have you always been like a nerdy guy? What what kind of got you started on your on, on yeah, this yeah. path to geek? I, I I think I have. Uh, you know, when I was uh, when I was little, I always loved superheroes. Uh, when I was six, I, I got my first comic book, uh, Avengers two fourteen. Also, when I was six, the Atari twenty six hundred came out, so I yes. fell madly in love with that. Uh, later, when it hit eight or nine, the eight bit Nintendo NES came out. I fell madly in love with that. Um, and then you know we had all those cool eighties franchises out. Uh, you know, I mentioned GI Joe and Thundercats and things like that, but, um, you know, we also had, uh, you know, we also had some pretty cool comic books out there. Uh, we didn't have any cool comic book movies really per se. It was a little too early for that. Um, but you know, in the eighties, uh, 83, return the Jedi, um, you know, 84, we had movies like, uh, like Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones. Um, and then in, uh, 86, 87, we had movies like the lost boys, um, yeah, the '80s were a great time to be alive. So, uh, and a great time to be an '80s fanboy or fangirl. And um, it's so weird. Uh, you know, it was pretty big back then. They had some decent toys and offshoot products and merchandise. It was okay. But what I love that you know now in 2017, 30, 33 years later, it's roaring back in a big bad way. The toys are being re-released or redone in much higher quality format than we had. Uh, the merchandise is almost endless for stuff like this. So it was cool that I kind of loved it then and then hung on to it for 30 plus years, which is awesome. And then, you know, if you, if you're watching, if you can see behind me, I, I have a, you know, I have a credit kid poster 
signed by three of the main cast members, one of my most prized possessions. But Karate Kid, they're bringing back as a TV series called Cobra Kai that's going to air on YouTube Red very soon about Johnny relaunching the Cobra Kai dojo and Daniel LaRusso not liking it and the rivalry is still there. Like, that's that's mind-blowing. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, you thought we saw the last of the Karate Kid uh, in that incarnation back in 89 with the with Karate Kid 3. But no, it's going to keep going. And, you know, actually, I think they're probably going to be able to redeem Karate Kid 3 because it's not a great movie. So, um, The first then, one you know, was the best one. First one was the best one. You know, second one was definitely a very worthy and very good sequel that I definitely enjoyed when it came out in 86. Um, but, you know, I never thought we would see Daniel and Johnny again. You know, they went off and made that Will Smith, Smith and uh, that Jaden Smith piece of garbage. Um, <laughs> but in this current incarnation – taking place back in Reseda, California, in the same settings. That's pretty badass. I'm, I'm so happy about it. Good, really good time to be a 70s, 80s geek because, again, all these things are coming back again. So now that the wider culture has sort of embraced this geek culture, you've got, you know, yep. uh, Sheldon and all these different things, you yep. know, D&D is big again, yep. all that kind of stuff. Yep. Does it make you jealous at all to have to grow up through like being <laughs> that guy? And now it's just like, oh, I could turn on TV. And there's like 14 geek shows and there's no, you no, know, not, not at all. I mean, 14 comic book TV shows. This is what I dreamed of back in the 80s and they, they, they didn't get it right. Uh, you know, back in 94, they made a ill-fated Captain America movie that never really got released. In 1990, they tried to make a, a – Roger Corman made a, a $1 million budget Fantastic Four movie that never really saw the light of day. Uh, you know, as a kid, though, I wanted, to see, I wanted to see these characters come to life in the way that I read them in the comic books. I wanted somebody with integrity and budget to make them uh, like I saw them, not only on the page, but as I pictured them in my head. And, you know – they made a couple of feeble attempts in the eighties and nineties. And it was just, I have his time. I don't blame them for trying. Um, you know, I don't blame them for casting Dolph Lundgren as a Punisher <laughs> or, you know, whatever. I don't blame them for trying, you know, it was too early back then. And so I love now that, you know, the CGI exists, that the budgets exist, that the writers who read the stuff that I did grew up to become screenwriters uh, who are able to add that integrity and great writing into the scripts so yeah i'm not jealous at all and the best part is uh you know i have i can go to a comic-con now on any given weekend or talk to somebody coming into the store and talk to him about what uh you know the flash storylines or arrow or legends of tomorrow or supergirl or gotham or agents of shield or black lightning or you know whatever or i can talk to him about the black panther movie just that just came out Whereas when I was growing up, they just, you know, the, it was not that popular. And I was itching just to, just to make friends who were, who were into the same things that I, I was into. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm not jealous at all. I'm very, I'm very happy that the, these things exist. I'm glad that kids, uh, that my children's age are, you know, 12, my kids are 12 and 10, that they're able to grow up in this world where it, it, it exists and, um, and that the storylines I grew up with, now they're able to watch it uh, on a big, budget you know like a 200 million dollar budgeted movie or or a very cool tv show on the cw or, or abc or whatever 
Cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, you you mentioned conventions. Uh, how long have you been doing the convention scene? Because it seems like you're everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing cons. The show came out uh, in 2012. Uh, it was later, about a year, year and a half later, where we discovered that the convention scene had kind of blown up and blown up to the point where, you know, they some of us would even book us as guests that they would uh, bring us in and put us at a table. We could meet fans of us, which was mind-blowing. Prior to that, you know, I, I was fans of guys like Jim Lee and Chris, Chris Claremont and Neil Adams and, um, you know, James O'Barr. Like these, you know, I went to cons. I waited in line to get autographs and sketches. So uh, it was it was pretty crazy and cool and a little weird to have the to have it flipped where like I could go behind the table and people would stand in line to meet me and Brian Johnson and Mike Zapsing. Like, it was a very weird concept, but uh, in about end of 2013, beginning of 2014, we started going to a lot of conventions. And um, a- as I started looking around, I was like, wow, there are legit, you know, two, three, sometimes four, five, six conventions going on somewhere in the world on a- any given weekend. And, uh, you know, they-, they want to bring in guests for people who are on pop culture related TV shows that are currently airing. And I had so much fun at those first few cons I went to that I wanted to go to more. I wanted to go to as many as would invite me. So uh, I got to a point where almost every weekend uh, I would get invited to or go to a convention that was going somewhere. And along the way, uh, you know, as a very happy byproduct, I started meeting other guests at the conventions. Um, some of my favorites were some of the Walking Dead actors. Uh, I was a big Walking Dead TV show, show fan. All of a sudden, we, were, we would have booths next to each other. And, you know, they want to, someone wanted to hang out after the convention and we would travel to different cons and see each other almost every weekend. That was pretty cool. But then I started meeting people from my childhood, like Adam West and William Shatner and, um, you know, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Jeremy Bullock. You know, I would meet the guy who was in the Boba Fett costume and I found out, you know, most of them, not all of them were very, very cool. But as a fan, as a fanboy, I was definitely blown away by that. So uh, that's pretty cool. And, yeah, I, I mean, geez, I lost count of the number of cons I've been to. But <laughs> I, I'm still trying to maintain that while we're on the air and while people still care. I would like to go to as many conventions as possible all around the world if they'll have me out. Sure. I, I'm not even sure that it's you that I'm talking to and it's not a clone right now. And you're no, actually somewhere no else way. right now. <laughs> this is me. I'm not anywhere else. Although, you know, this weekend I'm at a convention. Uh, two weeks after that, I'm at, a, at another convention. I'm just trying to keep it going. I truly love going to conventions. I love meeting people who like and watch the TV show. Uh, I love meeting their kids who also love and watch the TV show. I love meeting their parents and grandparents that they bring to a convention. Um, I love the whole con environment. Uh, I love that I can go out and buy commission artwork to hang up on my wall. I love that I can discover new indie comic books. Um, and th- you just things like that are so much fun. I love doing panels where people ask questions. I love going to panels for people that I really love. Um, yeah, just the whole kind of environment is really amazing right now, and I love being there. Cool. Does your wife want to kill you yet? Because you're always running from some place to uh, another. At, at times, yeah, but uh, you know, cons run typically Friday to Sunday, and um, you know, I'm I'm home during the weekdays for the most part. You know, some cities are so cool you can't help but stay an extra couple of days. But um, yeah, I'm sure she would rather have me at home. But you know, this won't be forever. Um, you know, but so I'm really trying to go to as many cons as I can, and right, yeah. um, and you know the people who run the cons are in my mind insane. 
Um, you know, why would you want to run this three-day event? Like a lot of them, they pour their whole years into, you know, creating this three-day event uh, at, at a huge financial risk. And, uh, and, you know, they don't sleep. There's a lot of stress involved. Um, uh, you know, I really admire them. So uh, on the flip side, I really try to do as much as I can to promote their event. So, I, you know, whether it be talking to the press, uh, you know, doing Facebook Lives, uh, you know, cutting, cutting videos, um, you know, talking with them. And just coming and being just a good guest, you know, I know what it is like a fan to wait in line and want to meet somebody. And, you know, I want to give them the, the best experience that they can possibly get while they're meeting me, you know, just as I would like one when I meet one of my, my, one of the people that I see on TV or the movies. So I really, I really, really strive to give people a really cool experience. Well, that's cool. And you were very gracious when we saw you at uh, Tucson Comic Con. You're, you know, upbeat, and we, you know, we kind of like came back and forth a couple of times. Oh hey, yeah, for sure. Going? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, you know, you know, is there anything cool out there? I haven't been able to leave my table. You know, yeah. did you buy anything? What did you buy? Like, I want to say, I'm a, <laughs> you know, we're all big, we're all fanboys there. We're all there for for the same purpose. Right, right. Now, what about Walt? Does he th- threaten to replace you yet, or what? <laughs> oh no, 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 not at all. I'm, again, I'm still doing there during the weekdays, and you know, I don't, I don't be there every weekend. So you know, it, 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 it work, uh, You know, job wise, it works out. So cool. And you know, and and Walt doesn't really want to leave the store. He doesn't travel. He doesn't fly. He'll go to one or two conventions a year, which is pretty cool. I like, I like it when all four of us appear at the same convention. It's very rare, but it does happen. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, so. Somebody's got to go out there and spread the good word. So I, I, I like that it gets to be me and, um, and or Mike and or Brian or sometimes all three or four of us. Cool. Now, do you get to geek out? Like, you know, you said when you're, you know, next to the Walking Dead guys or, uh, you know, you see some some people for your childhood, do you kind of get that, you know, oh, I'm at the couple oh, yeah. years, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. When, when you see, you know, Anthony Daniels from, you know, played C-3PO in Star Wars, like, how can you not flip out? That's freaking C-3PO, man. <laughs> or, you know, you see Billy D. Williams, like, you know, it's Lando Calrissian, the coolest guy in the galaxy. Um, you know, again, you know, Adam West, Burt Ward, you know, people I grew up watching on TV or on the big screen, the movies, uh, you know, some of these people I watch in movies over and over and over again. Uh, I mean, that's really cool. Uh, I think the biggest one was, uh, there was a con in Houston called Comic Palooza. They had a whole Aliens reunion. So, you know, we we're talking pretty much everybody. Sigourney Weaver came out. Um, Bill Paxton came out. You know, rest in peace. Uh, you know, Michael Bean came out. Um, I just, you know, the whole everybody. Every they had all pretty. They had everybody there, and uh, you know, there was a um, a opportunity for you to take a photo with the whole cast of Aliens. That was mind blowing, and I and I got my photo, and that's uh, that was a huge geek out moment for sure. Cool. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Now, how do you stave off concrud? Do you have any like tried and true methods as, as much flesh um, as you're pressing? I mean, I, uh, I, I, you know, a lot of hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer, hands, you know, that. And I mean, there's not much else you can do. You're, you're, you're in a building of 50,000 other people. Most of them are, are probably carrying some kind of disease or bacteria or, <laughs> or flu like symptoms with them. Yeah. You know, wash your hands, you know, otherwise, um, yeah, I, otherwise, uh, yeah, there's not much you can do. Um, I mean, you can take vitamin C and all that. I don't, I honestly don't know if that works, but I've been, for the most part, I've been pretty lucky. So cool. Cool. Knock on wood, right? Yeah. Yeah. Remember <laughs> in, uh, in, in D&D, there's an attribute called constitution. How well do you stave off? Uh, you know, how, how, how well are you built to stave off, you know, things like diseases and stuff like that. So I think I may have rolled a 20 on that constitution board because I'm very lucky in the, uh, 
Yeah, I don't want to jinx it or anything. <laughs> and I have gotten very sick after a con for sure, but uh, I try to just play it safe, I guess. Yeah. Have you ever had anybody that's been too, like, fan wise, you know, touchy feely to kind of, you know, no, like, I, hey, I'm, uh, I'm pretty amenable. A lot. Very rarely, some people are like, hey, man, um, before I take a photo, like, can I take a photo of myself picking you up? I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead. If you think. <laughs> You think you can lift me? Yeah, go by all means. Uh, you know, let's just have some fun. Um, yeah, and, and the fans have been very pretty respectful, not too super crazy. So yeah, I've been pretty lucky. All right, cool, cool. And uh, we I mentioned earlier Coral Sword. So uh, you have a store in the Houston area that just opened up. Uh, yeah, a it's very game. weird. Yeah, uh, you know, and this pertains to Legends of Tabletop. Uh, I started spending a lot of time in the Houston area and I met a group of guys who uh, were as geeky as me, if not more geeky. Uh, one of them happened to run uh, um, most of all, one of them happened to run all of the very awesome coffee shops in the Houston, Texas area. And I love coffee. And I met him. We discovered that we were big geeks. We loved comic books and tabletop gaming and video gaming. And he was huge into magic, the gathering and we love going out and, and eating really good food around the Houston area. And uh, he had kind of uh, brought up the idea of opening up a, um, a gaming and comics cafe, a cafe where, you know, he would serve his awesome high-quality coffee and beverages where you could come and play board games and video games and, and really get into tabletop gaming and where there would be comic books either for sale or to, to lend out and read while you were reading where you were drinking comics. And I was like, man, that's a great idea. If you ever do that, like, I want, I want in. I would love to become a partner in this. Um, there was really nothing like that at the time, though. There were some gaming places that would throw coffee in there as an afterthought. There were some cafes that would throw, you know, a couple of uh, games of categories and um, Cards Against Humanity in the corner and call themselves a gaming cafe. But a right. true gaming cafe with awesome ga up-to-date games that we curated – that also had a great library of comic books that also had really, really amazing coffee and espresso drinks that didn't even really exist. Um, but a, a year or so after he kind of pitched that we met a man by the name of Hunter Pence, who you may know as two time world series champion, San Francisco giants, right fielder who also happened to live in the Houston area who started going to my friends, David coffee houses and his off season, like almost on a daily basis <laughs> who, uh, David started talking to me. We found, we found out he was a huge geek, probably maybe even huger than us, really into competitive uh, video gaming, like super competitive, loved Magic the Gathering, loved board games, loved coffee. And he was kind of like, hey, what's what's this I hear about you wanting to open a gaming cafe? Let's do it. I want in. I want in <laughs> on this. So um, long story short, uh, a bunch of us geeks partnered together and we – came up with a concept and executed uh, the ultimate, the world's ultimate coffee gaming and comics cafe, which is now open in Houston, Texas on 1318 telephone road. And for good measure, in addition to all these great beverages, awesome food, uh, a awesome gaming library that you can go down and play and grab your friends and play uh, any number of very, very high quality board games or go down and we have a, a lending comic book library of over a hundred trade paperbacks that I helped curate. Um, on top of all that, uh, we also built a podcast and, and Twitch streaming studio. 
in the in this place. So it's really funny. A friend of mine was like, "This coral sword place, what what's that all about?" Oh, I was like, you know, and I I, I would I, I described it to her. I was like, "Hey, it's the ultimate, you know, comics, gaming, podcasting, really good food, streaming cafe." And she was like, "Oh, so it's basically you in a building." <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, actually, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, this me or us, really, all five, all five and six of us partners in there. It's basically us putting everything that we love to do into one space and sharing it with the world. And that is Coral Sword. So I, I, you know, I just think it's, it, it's, it's the ultimate geek expression of a place that we want to hang out at and never want to leave. And um, hopefully, everybody that goes in there has that same experience. That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. And and you guys have uh, streaming pretty much every night or Monday yeah, through Friday? Night, uh, pretty much uh, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. We stream something new out of there. Uh, since I'm up here in Jersey, uh, they've given me a t- I have a time slot. Every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, uh, I do a thing called the Tuesday Night Coral Swordcast where I go over the pop culture news of the week and comment it, on it. And on Twitch, uh, it's on. You can find it at Twitch.tv/CoralSword, and you can go on there and comment and give us feedback while we're streaming. So, um, yeah, don't and post I, I, links. Whatever you do, don't post a link. <laughs> yeah, or uh, you know, and I want to do more streaming. I want I want to uh, stream Mario Kart and Super Smash Brothers, and you know, four player games. I want to get Mike Zapsic in there so I can kick his ass at you know whatever. <laughs> um, I, I want to stream these things. So we can trash talk and play games and have the world tune in and watch us. Cool. So, so now you're you're new to the board gaming uh, experience, I'm, then? Uh, I am fairly new. I mean, I, I have my favorites, but uh, you know, while I was at the opening week of Coral Sword, you know, we cracked open about a hundred demo games, and the people came in. I, you know, they would randomly ask me if I wanted to join in on a game. So I learned like six or seven games that that one weekend that I loved. Uh, I learned how to play Dominion. I learned how to play uh, Splendor. I learned how to play, uh, uh, was that Cocazone or Co- um, Carcassonne? Carcassonne. I learned how to play Carcassonne. Uh, I learned how to play King of Tokyo. I just learned all these really, uh, um, really, really amazing games. And I want to keep it going. So I would love, I want to learn every board game that is out there, no matter how simple. It's a 15 minute duration game. I want to learn it. If it's if it's a game like Gloomhaven or Blood Rage, I want to learn it because if it's out there, like the more little pieces, the better. So um, yeah, and I'm um, I'm learning them, and then like I said, uh, when I find something I love, I want to spread the word. So I you know, I want to spread the gospel of these amazing games to people who haven't played them before, and I want to get them hooked as well. So uh, I have a couple of my favorites here. If you want to want to talk about them, yeah, let's, let's uh, I have here right here. There's a game bot called. Uh, um, from uh, I believe this is uh, Fantasy Flight Games called Hey That's My Fish. Very easy to learn. Um, I believe the list's age is eight plus. Although I believe that any five or six year old can play it. Uh, very compact game. Not a lot of pieces that you could throw in your backpack, which I do. And I'll literally just plop this down. It's like, hey, you want to learn a new game? Uh, play this with me. And uh, yeah, the concept of the game is very easy. Uh, you're a bunch of penguins. You try to collect as many fish by the end of the game. Very simple. Um, one that like all six of us at Coral Sword has been championing for the last month. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to get, uh, final 
Fantasy Flight Games to send me more so I can actually give them away. <laughs> um, they haven't done that yet, but Fantasy, uh, Fantasy Flight Games, if you're listening, we love this game. We've been chronicling this game on every media, social media, real media, interview, whatever. So, you know, if you want to send out a couple copies so that we can kind of spread the word, uh, please do. Uh, for any board gamer out there, uh, I urge you to play this game. Do you have this game? Have you played this game? I have not played that one, though. I have oh some God. fantasy flight games. Oh, my God. It's it's really, really good. And then I have one here, which is, uh, you know, a classic game. Uh, I don't know if they won the coveted board game of the year award. They may have back in 2014. But this is Codenames, which is pretty awesome. It's listed as two to eight players, but I re- you need I think you need four or more to to play it seriously. Uh, right. Three will work as well, but to have a really, really good interactive like trash talking experience i think you need four or more uh i've played this in major party settings which is my favorite setting to play this in where people are yelling at each other and you know cringing and and yelling and carrying on that was awesome what i love about code names is they started licensing it so there's a marvel code names oh nice um, you know uh there's there yeah they're gonna there's gonna be other versions of this so if you don't have this this is a must-have for any board gamer so yeah, and then I don't have a copy of Splendor, but that's next on my two-by list. I, I, I do really, like it, grab it. <laughs> yeah, I really, really love Splendor. I think Splendor is uh, you know, easy, uh, easy to learn, hard to master, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think uh, that, that, that one's pretty huge. And uh, I'm, I'm still trying to learn the ins and outs of Dominion. Uh, the first time I played it, I kind of had to be talked through it. Um, but that's, I, I, that's one of the most amazing games. And then one that I could play with either my adult friends or my, kid, my kids uh king of tokyo which is a dice based game but uh also involves giant monsters kaiju mm-hmm. it's great it's great yeah that's yeah good. do you have any other ones that you 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 love right now that you could recommend to me uh lotus is a really fun game i can okay. go grab it off the shelf I would, here I would, I would love to see lotus and all right there's the all cover right. you had me with the box art that's pretty that's pretty right. amazing the art is really good. You're essentially um, curating flowers okay. in a, uh, a mystical garden. Um, there's five different flower types, uh, ranging anywhere from three petals to seven petals. Okay. And then each flower has there's you know four. It's up to four players. Right. So each player has their own color uh, chop on it that represents your power. Yeah. Um, so whoever has the most power gets a uh, either a, a five point victory point token. Or there's three different uh, aspects you can uh, break the rules. So your normal hand size is four. So there's like a, a thing you can break the rules. So you could take a hand size of five. Uh, or on a normal turn, you can play one or two pedals. Yeah. So there's one that'll break the rules, allow you to play, you know, three plus cards in one turn. You know, one yeah, that's, action. That's cool. I love the term that the term victory point is kind of like a a canon, like nomenclature term now, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. It, it's really fun. It's really pretty. It's easy to learn. Um, it's it's just a lot of fun. I actually bought uh, metal coins, metal uh, like Chinese coins. So we just we've subbed out the the cardboard chips for the the metal coins. So oh that, yeah, because that makes you look cooler. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, other than that, lanterns is a good one. Um, again, real easy to learn. It's a tile laying game. Uh, it's the emperor's nice. uh, harvest festival. Okay. So you're uh, laying out, uh, I don't know how easy you can see it. Yep, I can see it. Yep. You got a, a handful of tiles that you could place out. Uh, if you match the same colored lanterns, you get that card 
And then there, you know, once you gain so many cards in front of you, there's different dedications that you can make. So you can do uh, three pairs to get you certain points or one of each color will get you, you know, a certain uh, token. That's a fun one. Easy to learn, easy to teach. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, I'm trying to find a group that I could play uh, with up here. So uh, a new gaming store just opened up, so I got to go check that out. Um, I'm, I'm a new player to Magic the Gathering, so I'm trying to get deeper into that as well. But yeah, if you're... Uh, I mean, I imagine if you're listening to this, you know, you're heavily into the board game world, but you know, if you're not, uh, definitely start checking them out because the, uh, I mean, it's just exploded. It just, it's just exploded. And you know, what I love is, uh, you know, the, you, you can play online gaming and you can get into, you know, 40 player campaigns, but nobody, nobody plays face to face anymore. Nobody really hangs out face to face anymore. And I love that, you know, these are, these are tangible games tangible pieces and you need the other person to be there and present and i love that's what i love and that's uh that's cool in life and that's cool at, you know a play like place like coral sword where you can meet your friends there and spend a night playing games and just bonding and just kind of falling in love with each other it's pretty awesome yep I, so board game is the only gaming i do in meet space everything else is online. Like we do a ton of RPGs for the podcast and all of our gaming is online. And we have people in England. We've got people in Florida. We've got people in Wisconsin. We've got people in Vegas. Like we're just all over the place. And yeah, which is great. But you know, in this day and age, uh, you you never really see anybody anymore. Yeah. It's tough. And it's not the same. It's fun. We have a ton of fun, but it's not the same as sitting at the table together. Yeah, I mean, in the end, uh, you know, trash talking just isn't as fun when the person's not in front of you. So, You're right. <laughs> yeah. so have you done any uh, other tabletop games? Uh, have you played D and D or any of that kind of I stuff? I have played D and D. It's been a long time. I was big, hot, and heavy into D and D for two summers when I was twelve and thirteen years old. Uh, you know, I met a group of friends and we went on campaigns. I made character sheets. Uh, you know, I, I drew my character. I loved it. I fell in love with it. I had a dice bag. I still have my original dice bag somewhere. I've not gotten back into it since it became big again, and I'm kind of dying to. So I'm trying to find a group of friends who will come and play with me. We we can we can help you with that. I know some people. Yeah, I would, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> I, I would I would truly love it. Cool. I right, you definitely set something up. Um, I, I don't know how much time you have left. I still have like a page of questions, but we could start to wrap this up if you've you know. Uh yeah, fire away. I mean, what's uh you know you can take your best ones uh, if you want. All right. Well, so so let's get a little bit more serious then as we wind this down. You're okay. you're involved with a couple of charity foundations. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh yeah, the one I'm currently involved in, um, I have to update my bio. Uh, I have one called involved with, with uh called Root to Rise, uh, which you can find their local Jersey charity that uh they encourage um physical activity, movement, yoga, running, uh anything cool. Um um as a substitute to uh, using and abusing substances. So uh, they aid in the recovery process through that. Um, one of the, um, I'm really big into uh, a pretty, pretty, pretty fun yoga practice that uh, I try to get to as much as I can. Uh, but I met a group of people who try to heal people through either, either, you know, running yoga or, or, or both. And they just open up a studio where they encourage recovery. And uh, they asked me to be on their board uh, a couple of years ago. And, you know, immediately I said, yes, but that's uh, that's one that I really champion. Uh, two other charities that uh, I had been involved in. One's called uh, Street Poets Incorporated, which uh, champions the use of poetry to channel anger, and um, instead of gang violence, to channel that anger through through poetry and the art and magic of poetry. 
And um, that one's headquartered in the Los Angeles area where, you know, gangs are kind of prevalent. Uh, And the other one I was involved in was called the Kenny Gordon Foundation, which uh, seeks to raise money to prevent heart arrhythmias. So, um, but yeah, if there are any other charities out there who who would like me involved, I'm I'm very open to that as well. I love trying to use whatever reach I might have through, uh, you know, this kind of weird accidental fame to help people out for sure. Cool. That's very cool. And, and you also, you've, you've done, you've run marathons for charity. How, I how have, yeah. Uh, yeah one of the biggest charities right now is uh, Kevin Smith has one called the Wayne Foundation, which, uh, you know, has a dual meaning. One is uh, Wayne Gretzky, one of his heroes, and one's Bruce Wayne, another one of his heroes. One fictional, one real, and uh, they aim to prevent human trafficking. So uh, I've run a couple marathons to raise money for them, and which was good because a couple of times I wanted to back out, and I'm like, well, you can't. <laughs> You're running for charity. You can't back out now. Imagine the news headlines, you know, like jerk quits charity race because he didn't train properly. So I ran those. Uh, I didn't really train properly. They were painful, but I, I finished and I raised money for them. So yeah, that was cool. That's very cool. And, and, and you look like a very fit guy. And, and, and I'm you- trying, man. I'm trying in this world of fried chicken and cake and hamburgers. It's tough, man. It's tough. Mm-hmm. When when did you start running? So have you always been into fitness? No, or is no, it something not, that- no, not at all. No, I, I was playing sitting around playing Nintendo all my life. <laughs> uh, no, I just I think I kind of took a running after I had my first kid uh, back in two thousand five, and uh, just kind of increased the distance and the and the race durations. And um, uh, yeah, I kind of I, I kind of hit a peak maybe three or four years ago. I'm trying to get back into it now. Yeah, now I have so much stuff going on, and the traveling kind of has kind of killed it really it's something that I, I i enjoy i just need more time to dedicate to it now right i i just started getting back into the gym again myself like on a regular basis awesome. i've i've been doing it off and on since like i don't like early 2000 yeah, i'll go for a couple of years like three yeah. four days a week and then yeah. get out and then get yeah. back in but i yeah. hate it. i hate it too i don't really love it <laughs> in particular and yet i i look back and i was like how the hell did i run five marathons i don't know I, I didn't, I hate, I did, I'm not one of those guys like, yeah, I get that, that runner is high. I love it. No, man, that's not, that's not me at all. I run so I could like eat at the end. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I listen to podcasts. I go in, I try to get done as fast as I can and get yep, the hell out. Sure. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yep. For sure. Uh, cool. Um, you're a little bit of an audiophile, right? I, I had heard uh, tell that you were looking to start an, uh, a music podcast or uh... i would love to man you know as a podcaster you're always looking for new ideas or things you know you it uh when you like doing one thing um what do you do you want to do like a million of them after that so uh i I fell into the art of podcasting i fell in love with the art of podcasting Uh, i think one concept that i have not done yet and you know if anyone wants to take it or do it with me by all means um across the street from jansen bob's secret Sesh is a record store where you can go, people sell their record collections, and there's a lot of cool vintage vinyl over there. I was like, I was like, like man, wouldn't that be cool if we did a podcast each week where me and a music-loving co-host went over and we picked one album, and then we brought it back, and then we, we would do a podcast about where we would talk about the history of the album, we'd play a couple tracks, and then talk about why we loved it, and then talk about why we loved the actual album itself, whether it be the album art or the liner notes or stuff like that. And, you know, it doesn't have to go a full hour. It could go as long as you want it or as short as you want it. But, um, man, I was like, man, that would be – and then, you know, when we played the track, we would actually play it off a turntable. So you mm-hmm. hear the hiss and the pops and the analog amazingness. 
yeah, I just we I just haven't done it yet, but that that one day, one day that'll happen. Do you do you have a specific music type that you're into, or are you across? Uh, the board? I, I love classic rock and I love old school hip hop. So, um, you know, different ends of the spectrum, but both uh, both that I really uh, both both genres that I really love. I love I love re-listening the stuff that I grew up with. I think first and foremost. Cool, very cool. Uh, do you do any retro gaming? We were talking about Atari earlier. You, do you have like a 2600 at home or an NES or anything? Uh, I, I have everything. Now, the Atari 2600 is very hard to hook up. Um, that Those two little prongs, I, I'm sure they sell an adapter, but I haven't gotten to it yet. So, uh, you know, the 2600 gave me, you know, my, uh, my son has one of the ones built into the joystick, which is pretty fun. But, I, I you know, I like tangibility. I like getting the old school games and blowing on them and plugging them in and whatever. Uh, I have my. I dug up my old NES. I dug up my old Super Nintendo. Um, you know, I appreciate that the retro versions are out there and people are going nuts over them. But the retro versions only have like what thirty games built in. Yeah. I want expandability, man. I want to play whatever I want. So, uh, one thing I have been discovering is you can play the old NES games within a web browser now, and there's everything. Oh, yeah. So I went back and started playing the original Final Fantasy game, and I fell in love with it all over again. And um, we talked earlier about Coral Sword. A lot of people are like, well, that's a weird name for a coffee shop. Why'd you name it that? Coral Sword is a mystical weapon that started in the first Final Fantasy game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went through and I, I, I got the Coral Sword of Coral Sword fame. So, um, yeah, if you go back, you literally legit, you go play for free within a web browser. If you want to play Final Fantasy 3, you can. It's great. If that's you want awesome. to play Russian Attack and Contra, you can. It's, it's really amazing. Very cool, very cool. All right, so we'll end up with this. I it may be a little bit of a downer. I don't know. Sure, um, okay. But but at got? some point, you know, comic book band is unfortunately going to end, and hopefully, it's sure. way in the future. Uh, but do you have any plans moving forward for that potentiality? Uh, we got just- a couple of things in the works. Uh, you know, obviously, we have the the, the coffee shop, which uh, you know, in the future, uh, you know, the thing one of the most asked questions is that uh, you know, can you open one up in my city? And mm-hmm. I would love to see coral swords around the country. Um, right now it's in Texas because in Texas you can pretty much open anything you want. So, you know, will that concept be able to be expanded to other cities? Absolutely. Will it be able to be run the same? That's, that's the question. Uh, you know, right now we're seeing if people will latch onto a gaming cafe with, you know, beer, wine, awesome coffee, awesome food, podcasting, streaming, comics so far. So great. So, you know, maybe look for a coral sword in your future. That would be pretty amazing. Um, uh, right now, if you're watching, um, I'm actually broadcasting from a place called the Shared Universe, and it's a podcast studio. It is a podcast is a recording studio built specifically for podcasters. So whether you're a new podcaster who wants to come in and start a podcaster, if you're an experienced podcaster who wants to come in and learn how to improve your podcast, this is a place that me and Mike Zapsic, Mike Zapsic opened up uh, about two or three months ago, and we've gotten a great response for it. We rent out the studio by the hour. We hold classes in here. And, you know, we want to do community events. Um, I would love to do board gaming events, you know, things like that. So uh, we're hoping this takes off. And, uh, you know, where there will be a shared universe podcast studios where you live, very quite possibly. That's the goal there right there. And then, uh, you know, who knows what's going on from there. Uh, My my dream, I think my dream life is to travel the country, uh, eat food, drink coffee, uh, drink cocktails, and then maybe chronically chronicle it somehow, whether it be a blog or a TV show and get paid to do it. 
and who knows i would love to do that i don't you know that's something that that's probably my that's probably my dream life right there um and who knows you know could i be like a more geeky anthony bourdain that that remains to be seen but uh, that's something i would love to do in my future so you, so you went there. I was thinking uh, Norman Reedus with his uh, his ride show. Oh, like a ride, yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, what you're... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's something. When, you know, whenever I go to a convention, uh, you know, I try to go to like the coolest places possible. I want to go hang out with the locals, hang out. I want to go to the hole in the wall restaurants and dive bars. And I guess I've kind of got this reputation where people at the con, uh, even some of the guests, will be like, "Hey, man, where are you hanging out tonight?" I heard. <laughs> I heard you were a guy who really know is into like really good food and stuff. Where should I go hang out? And I will give him a whole list. So who knows? You know, maybe that's a thing I could do. Maybe that's a service I could provide. Who knows? I don't know. That would be awesome though. Cool. Very cool. Uh, and, and where are you going to be this weekend? What do you have coming up? Where can people this, see you at? This weekend I will be in West Palm Beach, Florida. There is a con called Comic-Con Revolution. It'll be held at the Palm Beach County Convention Center. One day con, uh, Saturday, February 24th. Uh, I will be there. Chris Claremont of X-Men fame will be there. Uh, uh, Bill Tucci will be there, a guy who created a character called She. Um, uh, a lot of lot of really, really cool people will be there. So, uh, And I'll be there as well. If you want to come talk Star Wars, podcasting, tabletop gaming, please come out. I want to hang out with you. Cool. Awesome. There's links to all the things in the show notes. You can find awesome. Ming on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. There's like 47 podcasts he's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not that hard to find. So. <laughs> Very cool. You can also find us in most of those same places as well. Uh, check the links for all that. If you like what you hear, hit the uh, subscribe button. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your grandmother. Maybe she'll uh, be into listening about lanterns or you know, yeah. that's my fish or whatever. You yeah, know, you never know. Yeah, for sure. So uh, spread the word. Uh, we want to absolutely thank Ming for coming on. This, yeah. this was thank a you. ton of fun. Uh, thank you're, you. Uh, we're very gracious uh, in, in, you know, just hanging out at the con and then agreeing to coming on. I know you're absolutely, man. super busy. So this is very cool. So uh, I want to thank everybody for checking this out and uh, we'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.